for February 26th, 2018. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 504, American Major Chords. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. We overthinkers, well, we're like your smart, funny friends from the internet. We're never happier than when we are talking with each other about the things that interest us. Movies, TV, music, today music, in fact, which is something we do rarely. So I'm delighted to talk with these guys. I'm your host, Matt Rather. I'm here with my friends, Pete Fenzel. Hello, Pete. Hey, Matt. And Mark Lee. Hello, Mark. Hello, I'm back. <laughs> it's good. It's it's great to have you back. Uh, just uh, just a little quick digression. Have you seen Black Panther yet? Wakanda forever. <laughs> Wakanda. Yes, I have. Wakanda forever, indeed. Uh, gentlemen, oh say, <laughs> have have you seen by the screen's flickering light what so sultrily Fergie sang at the NBA All Star Game? <laughs> I haven't seen that many people avoid eye contact. Gosh, since what the last fire drill I had at work? Yeah, we're on the staircase. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. In uh, all all crammed together. Right. Exactly. Like or or. Sh- sh- shoved in an elevator really and and someone farts and everyone just uh yeah anyway so like uh so fergie's rendition of the star spangled banner at the nba all-star game went over like a fart in an elevator and uh and it it made us realize that we could talk about the star spangled banner we could talk about this rendition the history of renditions of the star spangled banner and uh of you know what it means that we do this at the beginning of sporting events what it means you know as a country that this is the national anthem that we have and you know by the way there is also a sort of uh Im- nationally important sporting event that is just wrapped up in the winter olympics and uh so if that comes up um you know so much so much the better so it's a uh it's you know it's everything you've come to expect from the overthinking it podcast that is to say patriotism and sports <laughs> so unalloyed love of america also that right uh mark you you sort of brought this to the table as as a topic so i feel like you should uh you should begin what were your impressions when you heard the fergie national anthem and uh especially heard the outrage that ensued well, I'll start with what I uh, thought from the outrage that ensued first, because as with so many things these days, I find out about them in reverse chronolo- chronological order as I scroll through Twitter. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I, as I figured out, eventually that uh, Fergie laid a turd bomb of a national anthem on these United States of America, at the all-star game, and people were outraged by it. And I thought, wow, okay, this one's been a real stinker. Um, and uh, uh, the first thing, uh, after scrolling through a bunch of uh, reactions for it, I found a clip. Somebody just, like, grabbed like the worst part of it where she like tries to hit this high note and belts it and, and doesn't do so such a great job of it and then cuts to all the NBA players like avoiding eye contact looking down you know like uh, at the ground uh, trying to suppress laughter and failing usually um, and I thought okay wow this was really bad um, so finally I get to the full clip of Fergie singing the national anthem at the NBA all-star game and uh, my honest reaction was this is not as bad as I was led to believe. 
Now, go back and listen to it yourselves. It's worth it. It's only about a couple of minutes. And it's, uh, I don't know, how would you describe it? Like a smooth jazz rendition of it? It's a sort of um, sultry torch rendition of it. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, and she hits most of the notes. Uh, it's just not a particularly artfully or subtly done. And we'll talk about some sultry yet artful and subtle versions of the national anthem uh, <laughs> later on. Uh, but this was none of those things. Uh, it, it's, it's just not great. Right. And, and there's a few different there's a lot of different uh, jumping off points for this. Uh, the proper, perhaps the most important one being uh, about reinterpreting the national anthem. Uh, deviating even the slightest bit from kind of the, uh, the, the the traditional presentation of it and uh, what makes that successful or not successful and what makes uh, any sort of reinterpretation of a very familiar work of art successful or not successful. Um, but uh, beyond that, you know, there's uh, there's all sorts of other things like, you know, why what it is this about this national anthem that we talk about that gets us so worked up and uh, and, and, and why we're here. To talk about it, so I'll, I'll I'll leave it at that. Start with that, and I, oh, the other thing is that uh, it will lead us to talk about the, the Olympics as well, because there's a uh, a, a very uh, recurring reinterpretation of the U.S. national anthem as our athletes uh, to take the podium and win gold, which actually started in Rio 2016, uh, which we'll definitely talk about in a little bit. But um, you know, the primary thing here, at least to start off with, is Fergie and her uh, interesting reinterpretation of it and why it failed or why it may not have failed as hard as people thought it did. So, Mark, I, I feel like. In your comment, you've committed a real sin in our national discourse, uh, and that is the sin of moderation. <laughs> but by, des- by describing it as interesting or not that bad or provocative, right, you really have failed to reach either the extremes of our – you know what, Mark? Your comment is an act of violence against the other two podcasters on the Overthinking It podcast. So, Pete, can, can your you – Your accusation of violence is an, accusation of, <laughs> is, is an act of violence on me. So there. So right. Yeah, exactly. We've committed the cardinal sin of moderation for what it's worth, my, my response was the same as like this is kind of a lounge singery kind of a lounge singery version but pete surely you can drive us to heights of nationalistic patriotic fervor and outrage uh or can you not look here's the thing about the national anthem it's a song in which there are two teams there's team flag and team rockets Right. (laughs) Team Rockets is going to be blasting off again. Let's get that right out of the way. Right. Right ahead of time. Right. And either you're on Team Flag, whose job it is to survive whatever sort of barrage is coming at you, or you're on the team of the Rockets, whose job it is to penetrate and lay low Fort McHenry and to bring down that flag. And I got to say when you're when you're being this like sexually solicitous in singing the national anthem, I got to think that you're on team team rockets here. You're on team penetration. OK, that is even grosser. Than <laughs> <laughs> the idea that Fergie has sinned against the national consciousness by encouraging Fort McHenry to loosen up <laughs> and to like allow allow for the merger of the invader and the invaded in this consensual and, and sultry manner. Uh, look. It's not that it's just a little bit bad or very bad. That's not the point. The point is that tonally it is absurd, right? In that it is a not only not only is it absurd in terms of interpreting the national anthem, but it is absurd in terms of engaging with the genre of torch song with which it is related. <laughs> and and I wonder I wonder here's the question, not is this a good or bad rendition of the national anthem? 
Is it a less appropriate singing of the national anthem or a less appropriate imitation of Ella Fitzgerald? Right. That, that's, or, or, <laughs> that's or, Je- or Jessica Rabbit, right? Jessica, well, I mean, yeah. there you go. By way of Jessica Rabbit. Yeah, it's so she a- like throws in that little English, that little English on the voice a little. Oh, no. I was thinking a little bit of Billie Holiday and like a little yeah. bit of the pieces here and there. But it's like camp drag queen Billie Holiday. Yeah. It's, it's not, it doesn't feel authentic. Anyway, wait, you go ahead. Wait, yeah. Oh, oh, say, does that Star Spangled Banner yet way, yay, yay, yave? <laughs> right, like the is that the one that she does? The gave pru woo woof through the nayayayit or something like <laughs> something like that. Yeah, it's not so so. Yeah, it's a little bit, but it wasn't. I mean, it wasn't that. It wasn't that bad. I, you know, I don't know. I, I want to tackle. I want to tackle uh, a couple things about this. But I, I just one of the outrageous things that we should all repudiate about Fergie's Star Spangled Banner is that it's in four. Are you with me? <laughs> are are you with me, Mark, on this, or are you a uh, are you on Team Four? That in and of itself is not like uh, a deal breaker for me. Uh, which uh, I, I believe that other versions of, of the national anthem that we'll, we'll cover uh, might have changed the time signature as well. But um, I don't know. Like that might be more kind of like a, a symptom of some of the broader problems with the national anthem as a piece of music, rather than like you know a, a sort of a. Uh, a problem with the reinterpretation. Problems with the national anthem is a piece of. Okay, can you hear this? Is that coming through my microphone? Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Here is a. Here is the national anthem as as God intended it when God created the earth <laughs> in 1776 <laughs> uh, with America as its its crowning achievement. Okay. Aha, and I've already screwed it up. Okay, so I, I mean, I took all I took all that time out of the podcast just to point out one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, and not No, not is like that. that. Is, no, is that so terrible though? That, <laughs> would that be the worst thing? Depend. It depends. Is is is? I'm going to answer my own question. It depends. It could be the worst thing. The kids it could not be the worst thing. The kids um, bop national anthem. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, so that's a, that's a, definitely an arrangement that takes place in matching single color T-shirts, right? Oh yeah, with choreography. Okay. Yeah. All right, so Matt, I'm glad that you kind of laid it out, this sort of the plain vanilla version of it to serve as a musical baseline for uh, everything else that uh, we're going to talk about. And yet, 
Um, I'm also going to have to, well, actually you and say that's not really the way that God intended for this national anthem to be sung, because as Pete started to demonstrate at the end, um, the key that you did it in um, is uh, sends to uh, the rockets go to unsustainable heights. That is to say, it starts out all fine and good, right? Oh, oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early light? But the problem is when you get later on into the song, oh, the land of the free, like freakishly high, that is impossible for most people to hit, and the home of the brave, right? The a, a problem with the national anthem, which you probably heard before, is that the, the tonal range is extremely wide. It's like a, like what an octave and a half or something like that, almost two octaves, um, which is very uncommon for uh, a piece of music to be sung, uh, particularly one that's supposed to be sung by a large group of people. You know, like like church hymns, for example, are, are in a much narrower range, right? And so where you did it in C, Matt. <laughs> Right. Um, when we were, if you might recall, in marching band together, our arrangement of the national anthem was in a, in a flat. Oh, oh, say, can you see? Right, or the land of the free and the home of the brave, which allows the, uh, the the higher notes to be sung in a much more manageable place, but starts out the song in a very uncomfortable. Oh, say, can you see? Um, so all that is to is to demonstrate that uh, this is one of the problems with the song itself as a, as a piece of music is that the melody range is uh, is, is freakishly large so, so mark i have to i have to contrast or, or counter argue something some respect of what you're saying which is uh that you're starting from the assumption that the star spangled banner is like a hymn right which i think is a reasonable assumption that it serves the sort of purpose or that its form as with respect to its function is is uh in the form of a solemn song that is meant to be sung by large groups of people in a sort of orderly and perfect manner. But the melody of the Star Spangled Banner, the whole music of the Star Spangled Banner is from an old drinking song, I believe, right? And so like, while things like hymns, you know, might see have like small intervals to sing, if you think about the songs that people actually sing together in social situations, they f- commonly have absurd intervals that people have to go from like like i'm thinking of uh don't stop believing hold on to that feeling and street lights p or or whoa whoa we're halfway there whoa living on like these are these are very commonly sung group sing-along songs and they are impossible unless not even bon jovi takes it up the octave anymore and i don't know if if uh, steve perry still sings or whether he's like working for the cia and has gone off the grid or something i'm sure you could wikipedia that know that in a second but but that's the question i'm not necessarily again it's not necessarily a counter argument as much as saying well doesn't this place the star spangled banner in the company of songs that are sung in groups but not well <laughs> unless, <laughs> and, and so you could be whitney houston and you could sing the star spangled banner as written and it's fine uh but in four if you have, in yeah. four she sings it in four. <laughs> oh, she does yeah uh, whitney houston's in her yeah, and, she, and she kills it too right it's a, yeah it's, also, it it's also great right so the thing about four what four does is it adds an extra beat after the downbeat that you can sustain the notes so right so uh all those money notes are on the because it's that what is it it's not an anapest it's not a trochee what's the other kind of foot da 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 a four I am? Is that what that is? Da da da. Two two weak and one one strong. 
song. Da 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 da. Oh, say, can you that's see an by I the am, d- right? Oh, that's that's, a, that's an Anapest, right? An Anapest. I thought Anapest was da 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 da. But anyway, oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming? If all the money notes are on downbeats, and they are uh, the good vowels and the and the dramatic notes, you can you can end up holding them, you can get more effect out of them, right? So instead of, oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early light? Oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we... And it really makes a difference in the rocket's red glare, the bumps bursting in air, right? It gives you a little, uh, kind of a wider stage for vocal pyrotechnics or sort of vocal acrobatics than than the other one does, which is a little more... uh which is a little more like you're it's written to be swinging beer steins around to not necessarily like having a solitary tri- tear drip out of the corner of your eye in in you know uh slack jawed bewilderment at uh the awesome sight of the fighter jets flying doing a flyover of the super bowl oh and by the way i i think that um the reason that you might be confused is that a lot of anapestic verse is acephalic i believe where they'll they won't have a full anapest in the first put will we'll chop off the first unstressed syllable. Um, but anyway, ne- never neither here nor there. Uh, that so what you're talking so we're talking about here is the the Star Spangled Banner is an opportunity for virtuosity, which is interesting to think about in terms of American exceptionalism and kind of narrative of America as a place that is the best. Then it should have a national anthem that allows for a high degree of difficulty and a high opportunity for virtuosity. Uh, right, and the, and that to, yeah. the 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 common kind of call and response at at sports events is um, to honor America, please rise for the national anthem. So this is something we're doing not to commemorate, not to memorialize, but to honor. Right, like which is yeah. a which is a kind of very. Uh, which is a unique sort of speech act, right? And a unique sort of occasion uh, for poetry and, and sort of related to the point that you're making. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, a good example of anapestic, uh, um, an- anapestic acephalic meter is limericks. Like there was a young person, there was a young man from Nantucket who did something weird with a bucket or whatever. It, it's it's anapests, but the first foot, the first beat is dropped off. Um, but anyway, that again, neither here nor there. It's hard for me to not pick that up when it's been put down. Yep. But um, no, I'm glad. Know, I'm, Mark, I'm, gr- I'm grateful for it. <laughs> you know, I want to circle back to something uh, you said earlier about how um, the national anthem, because it's a difficult piece of music, has become this opportunity for virtuosity. Mm. Um, and uh, my point earlier about how being a very difficult song for uh, your average Joe to sing, um, it, it, it all ties into the certain interpretation of the American ethos as one of celebrating individualism and heroic individual achievement as opposed to collective uh, effort and collective action, and it's something unfortunate that we're starting to, you know, we've we've seen play out over and over again to a great destructive uh, effect in our political sphere, as mm-hmm. well. Um, let me just demonstrate that a little bit, though, at the counterpoint um, for a, a a national anthem that is uh, much more easy to sing as a group, uh, and also is done to um, uh, significant uh, effect at sporting events by groups, which is. Um, um, well, you know, I, God I, I, save our yeah, gracious God, queen. Long live our noble queen. God save, God save the queen. Yeah. And that's all it sits in a comfortable register for a voice, um, much like a church hymn. And when uh, uh, English, British, I'm not sure what the correct word is, right, 
word is for that um, when they uh, when they do that in unison about belts out with that uh, in a in a soccer game in a football match, as it were, um, it sounds fantastic. Um, it, it kind of really uh, gets the blood going um, and raises the hair on the back of your neck. And uh, perhaps most importantly, the entire crowd can do it together and do it well. But you can't say that for the national anthem. Yeah, I'll add even Eric. another. Oh, go, go ahead. No, I say the national anthem as if there was only one. You can't say that for the Star Spangled Banner, but you can't say it for uh, God Save the Queen. So it's interesting to think about the juxtaposition, particularly of the American national anthem with the British national anthem, or I guess the national anthem of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland and its various overseas dependencies and such and such, uh, is uh, in that one axis is that the American national anthem is more rewarding for one person who can sing it really well to sing it really well, whereas the English national anthem is better for a lot of people to sing together and to sing it well. But then there's this third direction, which you could also perhaps plot on an axis of the differentiation of the American and British identities. And I, I put a question mark in there for a reason of the American national anthem is a great national anthem to sing badly. Uh, and, and to sort of really throw yourself into and, and with a certain lack of refinement. And so so one of the things that's interesting about national anthems in general is how many of them came out of the same sequence of events uh, after in the sort of wars involving the French Revolution and the unity of uh, the nations that opposed the French Revolution and the Austrians and the Austrians trying to exert power over the rest of Europe over that sort of 200, 300 year stretch. And, and a whole bunch of the different countries develop these national identities and national anthems that are about kind of fighting the Austrians, like the I think the Dutch one and the, and the, the Italian one and the, and the French one. I think they're all about fighting the Austrians uh, and although in different places. And um, and there's this idea that you 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 establish in your in your uh, exaltation of your national identity, the kind of height of culture to a degree that it sort of pulls the center of gravity of legitimacy and authority and relevance away from the courts of kings and particularly the court of Vienna and puts it in the hands of the people. It makes the people kings. It makes the sort of republic have the gravitas of the, arist the aristocracy. That then in this way, it sort of is competing in a center of gravity with this notion of the, the nation as the na the interests of the nation as the owners of the land versus this. is What, it, what we're really talking about here is Thor Ragnarok, which, which is about the difference between between being the king of a place and being the, the king of a people. Uh, the, the difference between popular sovereignty and kind of geographical or property based kinds of sovereignty. And that because of this, a lot of these kind of popular sovereign Euro European national anthems have this real sense of excellence to them, where they're trying to show a sort of formal, uh, a formal uh, balancedness, a, a sort of comp a compositional balance and a compositional gravitas that I don't think that the music of the American national anthem really has for all its claim to virtuosity, because I don't think that the American national identity emerges from conflicts with where it's like, oh, we're fighting against a, a European power that is dominating us because they are fancy and we are not. And we need to establish ourselves as fancy in order to distinguish ourselves from this king that we don't want to be uh, uh, beholden to anymore. First things, America, yeah, for, yeah. first things first, King George, I'm the realist. <laughs> Drop this shot heard around the world and let the whole world feel this. 
I mean, uh, you, to, to just contrast it really fast, it's like when you're the Dutch and you're singing against the Austrians, it's because the Austrians are there and you don't want them to be there. But the Americans singing about America are singing about how the English have been gone for a long time, right? Like, like that's a big part of the American Revolution is that the king, not the English per se, but the king hasn't really been asserting responsibility for these places. They've been self-governing for a long time. They've established their own culture in the absence of uh, of the king. And so you don't have to set up the new center of gravity of the king. You just have to acknowledge the new political order that already exists and the new cultural order and discourse of power that already exists. Well, that's which, OK. So like historically, this is the the poem that became the lyrics to the Star Spangled Banner. The, the melody is a British drinking song from a like I think from a like private club gentleman's society of something called the Anacreontic Society. Uh, Anacreontic Society. I don't know. But that uh, to Anacreontic. Creon in Heaven is the name of the melody. Um, and uh, Francis Scott Key wrote in uh, uh, the, what Wiki- Wikipedia calls him a 35-year-old lawyer and amateur poet, which seems... <laughs> 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 it seems ungenerous to me. That's when, uh, uh, that's when, um, like, uh, when uh, Nabokov called Freud uh, that that Viennese classicist and amateur novelist, Sigmund Freud. Um, the written on September fourteenth. 1814, during the, the War of 1812 in Baltimore, witnessing the bomb... I can't read from Wikipedia. The, uh, the British bomb um, Fort McHenry uh, from Baltimore Harbor, right? And so it was like, and the, the, the lyrics of the song are sort of like, they, they have this like night and morning, get through the night to the morning. The difference between, uh, night and morning and the constant is the, the flag, right? There's the, there's the thing. I mean, I think we should, I think we should kind of do a close reading of the first verse. I'm not sure if this is exactly the time for that, but, but, um, like it's, so, so it is actually like the British are actually here, right? When the, when the poem is being written and we don't and we don't want them here because we we kicked them out uh the first time and they ca- they came back thinking you know they regrouped you know and uh and came back and just as uh you know napoleon is being being uh kicked out of of Russia, right? So too are the British being kicked out of, you know, the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic, and they're being sent backpacking to to fancy Europe where they belong. Interesting. It makes me think also that that the American national anthem, and we, I feel like we've talked about this in the podcast in the context of all the NFL stuff that involved the national anthem earlier this year. But to sort of pick up near an end of that kind of conversation and carry it forward, the American national anthem seems to me a great example of the death of the author. <laughs> in that the intention with which it is sung seems to me so different from the intention with which it might have been written. And that the the national anthem of the United States seems to be really heavily imparted with the experience of the and the context in which it has been sung since the poem has been written, the music has been affixed to it. And in that way, that might be the weirdest thing about the Fergie interpretation, because when you think about the national anthem, you think about ball games, you think about wars, you know, and, and, and GIs and, and sacrifice and stuff. And you think about. Uh, you know, sunny days, and you think about school functions and, and political civic functions where where people sang this song that has a certain sort of degree. And the idea that like Fergie having sex is like an experience that's like 
on par with the other experiences that have led to this kind of interpretation of the national anthem is like an interesting or at least propositioning somebody. Right. It's interesting to think about in that all maybe all singings of the American national anthem are misreadings because all interpretations are misreadings in where you are trying to take what that flag is. The flag is, is a MacGuffin to an extent, a symbol. Yes, but the flag is for everybody. So the American flag is supposed to be for everybody in America. And, so, uh, you know, and, and for, forgive me for maybe being a little bit, you know, Neil Diamond uh, old fashioned in this in this belief um, that everywhere around the world, you know, they want to come to America and the flag stands for being being friendly and free and all this other stuff. Uh, it's imparted with your own experience. When you sing the national anthem and you're singing about the flag, you're kind of singing more about yourself than any particular sort of memory about the Battle of Fort McHenry or the shelling from Baltimore Harbor, right? You're th- what does it mean to you? It, it Maybe when you compare it to something like God Save the Queen, God Save the Queen is about a subject that's like very specific and kind of, if not universal, then something that everybody can point to. That's the queen, right? <laughs> we know who the queen is. In fact, the idea that the words of the song change if the gender of the monarch changes is kind of interesting because it is God save the king when it's not a queen, right? Like, I'm not wrong about that, Matt, am I? No, not at all. Yeah. So, like, if it's a king, it's God save the king. If it's a queen, it's God save the queen. We're all talking about that person. Whereas when it's uh, the flag was still there, we're not really talking. It's we're not really talking about the flag at Fort McHenry. We're talking about the flag that we're like looking at while we're singing it or whatever the flag kind of means to us. Because it can be all things to all people because it's a symbol that doesn't have a whole ton of really you know, irreducible semantics associated with it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So unless you really believe that idea of like, well, each star is, is a state. And so you're singing about all 50 states and the stars. I don't know if that's really how it works in practice, although I don't I don't want to I don't want to rain on the vexillology parade uh, and, and so on and so forth. But I mean, I mean, Mark, do you, you hear what I'm saying? Is there when you sing the national anthem yourself, what kind of flag do you picture in your mind? Oh, I have very specific things that come to mind, most okay. because of my uh, family history and the, the Korean War and you know, my family mm-hmm. coming over to the United States. Uh, I think about uh, Americans who died in defense of uh, South Korea from North Koreans. I think yeah. about, you know, the hard fought uh, freedoms that um, that that they and their sacrifices, uh, both sort of, you know, soldiers as well as my my family, they all they all uh, gave to me so that I could be uh, in, you know, in the land of the free uh, and, and the home of the brave. Um, th- that's what it means specifically for me and born out by my life circumstances. Um, I, however, don't you know get up and sing the national anthem in, in, in front of uh, thousands or millions of people uh, like some of these famous entertainers that like, I mean, we're if talking you ever, about. If you ever go to a baseball game and sing along, you're singing in front of thousands sure, of but, people. Sure, but Mark, if you were to perform the, the national anthem, you would do it on your guitar, right? I, right, I would right. definitely do that. Yes. So, uh, yeah, so yeah, it, and I've seen you do that literally dozens of times. <laughs> but yeah, right. But that's that's you know. I mean, I I think there's a sort of famous uh, you know guitar capella rendition of uh, of the Star Spangled Banner, right? Which is the one that that Hendrix did at Woodstock. Um, I don't know. Does that is that a particularly meaningful one for you? Um. In a certain way, um, I, I want to talk about that in, in a second, but I don't. I want. I want to loop back actually to the the sex stuff that Pete was talking about. Yeah, before. loop back to the uh, sex stuff. That's what uh, I like to hear. Because, like, so we're we're talking about the contrast that uh, the the odd coupling, for lack of a better word, uh, <laughs> of of Fergie's sultry lounge sex version of the national anthem uh, with its um uh, its its content, its uh, a sensible uh, subject matter, um, but. What makes that not work when Marvin Gaye's slow jam sex version of the National Anthem uh, work? 
I mean, there's some I obvious will, answers to that, but some perhaps not so obvious ones as well. I mean, if your American flag, Mark, is flying in South Korea, and and I believe that Marvin Gaye's American flag is flying in his bedroom, <laughs> then I mean, Fergie's American flag flying in her bedroom doesn't feel as honest. I, I, maybe maybe it's because uh, Fergie is is campier and more separated from the authenticity of her performative experience, like the whole oeuvre of the Black Eyed Peas is alienated more than anything by Marvin Gaye is, I would say. Like, let's let's get it started. Or I've got a feeling tonight's going to be a good night. Jump off that sofa. Uh, (laughs) Muzzle tough, Pete. (laughs) (laughs) I got a feeling, woo-hoo, with a robot voice. They talk about a sing-along song that has a big big, uh, interval in it. I got a feeling, woo-hoo. that tonight's going to be a good night. Tonight's going to be a good night. Tonight's going to be a good night. Um, the experience of singing it does not, to me, authentically, uh, performatively reflect a verisimilitude with somebody actually uh, determining have, have, that tonight's going ha- to be a good night. Right? Really? You don't think so? I mean, I don't like that song. I've in fact, written uh, thousands of words on overthinking about why I dislike this song. Um, but uh, I just you think know, it's you presentationalist. Like- I think it's presentationalist rather than representationalist. And and what I, what I mean by that is that it is looking to use artistic form in order to get across ideas that are related to real world experience, either sort of symbolically or metaphorically or or just sort of by association, as opposed to trying to reflect to you a a corresponding uh, depiction of the thing. So like when Marvin Gaye sings "Let's Get It On," you could believe that he is actually singing it to somebody he wants to get it on with, and that they are like right there. You could potentially believe that. Uh, I mean, I would even I would even potentially contrast this within the within the scope of slow jams. You have uh, relatively greater or lesser degrees of representational verisimilitude in the sense of listening to a particular person sing a slow jam. Do you think that that person could actually be singing it in the context with which it is it is saying that it is? So, 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 Pete, so Pete, what you're saying is that you don't want to have sex with Fergie and you do want to have sex with Marvin Gaye. <laughs> so, so, so top she- of the heap in terms. Terms of like all the way on one side of the continuum is like Barry White, right? Where he's like, I can't get enough for your love, babe. And I'm like, I totally believe that. He's like, he's like, he's eating waffles, and he's like, I can't get enough of your love, babe. This is great. Uh, and then on the other end is like, uh, is somebody like what? Like, uh, I want to say like Omarion. Oh no, like, uh, um, uh, uh, you know what? Robin Thicke. Um, yeah. How does it feel to be the way I love you, baby? Right where it's like, you know that song I'm talking about, right? Uh, Robin, Robin, no, Robin no, Thicke, gotta, Robin Thicke has, has, a, has a song that's not Blurred Lines. Oh, uh, okay. So, geez. Okay. So this is a big issue all in and of itself. All right. So, so Robin Thicke was a pretty popular R&B musician within the R&B fan community before he crossed over into becoming a pop musician. And he has kind of these falsetto slow jams that you would really not attribute to him, but you would probably recognize. And uh, I only know them kind of by by name, uh, by, by, uh, by singing along with them. Uh, but let me yeah, well, don't let, don't don't look up the names. Just sing them and and let us you know <laughs> let us hear them in the authentic uh, verisimilitude. Without you, can't help myself. How does it feel? It's never way I love you, baby. Right? Uh, and he sing. I'm singing it like Eric Cartman as Robin Thicke. And you guys are the, by far the superior musicians on this podcast, by the way. <laughs> but but the point being that like 
him actually singing like this to a person is not feasible <laughs> right now. Granted, his falsetto is a lot better than mine, particularly when I'm kind of hunched over a microphone. But like uh, but it's but it's communicating the idea of tenderness, vulnerability and kind of sexual closeness. But but not by doing it, by imitating what he would be saying were he in that situation. Right. right. So uh, the, and and long story, you know, long story short, yeah. the TLDR version is that this is the difference between presentational and and representational. I mean, I also think there's a. I mean, given that we are, you know, old fuddy duddies approaching middle age, right? Like there there is a little bit of these kids today in their rainbow parties here, which is that like Robin Thicke, Black Eyed Peas. You know, these acts have. Very little in common, except that they are sort of technologically enabled. You know, they're they're whereas you know Marvin Gaye is a live performer. You know, he's a guy who stands in front of a band, and uh, when they say record, they mean it in the Ani DeFranco sense of like uh, uh, a record of an event, <laughs> the event of people making music in a room, right? And that's uh, there's that. I also think like there's a connection, I, you know, with what's going on. Like Marvin Gaye linked his with that record, he linked his music making, you know, not just to to sultry smooth jams, but also to sort of activism. And I think that there is an authentic activism in the uh, the version of that. Um, it's actually kind of the same sort of activism at play with in Hamilton, where you do a, a you know rap musical about the founding fathers, uh, and that that like that this is a legitimate. There's a claim being made that this is a legitimate instance, right? Like that that this the kind of the American experience encompasses the Black American experience right, right, as well, you. and that's like and that's you know so that there's so that there's a point, and it's not just so there's there's a sort of uh, moral ethical dimension beyond just the kind of the formalistic dim- dimension of sort of uh, representational versus presentational style. And, you know, I... Uh and I just said I didn't get that. I didn't get that with Fergie. I think to your point, Pete, it's like she was trying to to achieve an, an effect and kind of trying to I think like a little a little uh, after, you know, the outrage, she responded by saying, I'm a provocative artist. I'm a boundary smashing artist. Yeah. I'm a path breaking artist, whatever, you know, whatever she said. But it was worse to that effect. But like there's no. There, there isn't kind of a, a point like, uh, right? Like when, when Marvin Gaye is smashing boundaries, it's like he's, he's being provocative so that, uh, you know, a, a, a social, uh, in, in service of a social good that we would recognize as legitimate or at least recognize that many recognize as legitimate. Um, and, and with Fergie, maybe not so. Can we, can we, can we, can we give like the, like, uh, a ton of benefit of the doubt to Fergie and try to fill in some of the yeah. uh, of the political point that she might be trying. I to feel like that's this. where Pete was about to head. Yeah. So Fergie absolutely has a political point to her performance because her name is Fergie and she has an album called Duchess, I believe. And the point because there's an actual Fergie, right? Fergie. And this is really funny because it relates to the difference between America and England, (laughs) right? Which is that Fergie is a duchess in the royal family, but Fergie is a duchess in the royal family of the Black Eyed Peas. Uh, And uh, and that so she was on like Mickey Mouse Club and stuff. So she's used to being put in these sort of assembled groups. But but the idea is that is to assert a claim to a princessness, you know, a sort of queenness, a a duchessness, 
through a different sort of discourse that doesn't associate with uh, the reservation, the personal reservation that is characteristic of, I guess we could call them Elizabethan monarchical values, because <laughs> at this it is different. I mean, I, we don't really talk about the Elizabethan era because it's just all we've known. But at some point, it's going to be over and replaced by something else. But during the era of Queen Elizabeth II, the values of the of the crown, which, of course, we've been seeing in the show, the crown as well, have been of, of an intense uh, reservedness and appropriateness that that you bring a decorum that you bring to every situation. And Fergie does not have these things. And she, she, in fact, goes extremely in the other direction. She is bombastic. She was an early adopter in the shifting uh, body norms that took that happened, you know, in, in uh, at least in the United States. But I think across uh, a degree of widespread mainstream popular culture through the aughts and into the teens where you saw the ideal woman change. And particularly with regards to racial coding, Fergie has an intersection with racial coding because she's part of a group that's mostly people of color. And and she participates in that group in that, that style and yet claims European aristocracy through her name. And so it's about kind of more than than uh, it's about surpassing. Right. It's about surpassing the idea of what it means to be a duchess. And in, in that sense. If you look at it that way, Fergie's national anthem interpretation is pretty interesting because she's trying to bring to a song about patriotism the same sort of values that she brings to a song about, like, uh, getting it started. <laughs> right. Uh, wait, 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 Pete, hold on, hold on. Right. Like, because this is, uh, you know, this is anti-democratic. Right. Like, what you, you, Fergie is trying to to reestablish a hereditary aristocracy. No, no, no. Uh, she's she's looking to wield its power through different means. I don't think she's wants to be hereditary. I think she just wants the authority, the moral authority and social authority that comes from that sort of hereditary monarchy, but by virtue of her sense of style and her excellence in other areas. Well, I believe they involve her humps, her humps, her humps, her humps, her humps, her humps. What was the next one? Her humps. Her lovely lady lumps. Check it out. Yeah, there it goes. Uh, so, oh, goodness. I mean, what are those? What did she just describe except for the design of a royal crown? Right? Go around <laughs> and all you encounter are ornamental humps that have been acquired at great cost and affixed often with great solemnity well fergie has those humps as well but and they are they are acquired through great cost but, uh, but do not uh, come with the same uh, solemnity and that's kind of a tough shot i would say jeez well pete i guess the the it raises the question right what what you going to do <laughs> with all that junk all that junk inside your trunk <laughs> yeah exactly i had a moment of horror when i'm like is that a fergie song i hope that's a fergie song because <laughs> if it's not i'm gonna feel really stupid okay. all right but- <laughs> so, boil it down then what, what what was fergie's political point that she's trying to make no, they, they, uh, in her rendition of the anthem so pete, pete you're saying that that she's trying to wield the power of european uh aristocracy through a sort of uh, through a sort of excellence of performance, though not performance of singing, performance of other things, uh, like, uh, you know, I don't know, like like style, panache, uh, provocation, and, yeah. and um, 
a, a certain kind of uh, uh, non non appropriate uh, non appropriative racial transvestism. Yeah, it's it's a, it's very similar to Damn Yankees in these respects, <laughs> <laughs> in which like I believe Lola is affiliated with Satan in some way, right? <laughs> is uh-huh. that is that Lola? Yeah, <laughs> and, but, uh, and like there's what, supernatural so powers at work. What what happens, Pete, when Lola wants something? <laughs> <laughs> she Lola gets something. Oh, okay. <laughs> I guess like Fer- I guess she's like Fergie in that respect, huh? I, I, I think I think she. If you look at the promotional material, it's nearly identical. <laughs> so, <laughs> so for those not familiar, Damn Yankees is a musical in which I think someone tries to. It's been a long time, but someone tries to sell their soul in order to beat the Yankees at baseball, uh, and and the the soul selling is is uh, attended to by a um, uh, uh, what's her? Did you guys see Bedazzled? What was her name? Uh, why can I not remember? Bedazzled is a great movie. Um, it, it is uh, a Brendan Fraser movie. And I'm trying to remember the name of the woman who is in it, who's a huge star. Elizabeth Hurley. Elizabeth Hurley. Yeah. Yes. Oh, Elizabeth right. Hurley. Okay, yes. I, I would describe Fergie's claim to power as Elizabeth Hurley-esque uh, in Bedazzled. <laughs> in that it's like taking old world ideas of, of the sacred and powerful and associating them with kind of new world ideas. Although Elizabeth Hurley is, of course, uh, English. Um, with uh, of like sort of bombastic third wave feminist sexual power, uh, although I guess the Spice Girls are also English, so there you go. But uh, but yeah, but she's yeah, that's that's what I was saying. Is that right. that's what she's trying to do with the national anthem? Oh, got it. So so you're saying she's trying to tell us what she wants, what she really really wants? Yes, yes. <laughs> she's saying so, that the the walls of Fort McHenry are a circle of women dancing at the club. And the British in Baltimore Harbor are a bunch of dudes standing outside the circle of women dancing at the club. And that the women in the in the circle dancing harder do not necessarily invite the men in so much as intimidate them by their power and excellence is the idea. Anyways, go ahead, Mark. OK. All right. So Marvin Gaye is, uh, I think you could use the word provocative, um, but not alienating in his kind of deconstruction, reconstruction of the national of the Star Spangled Banner. Um, Fergie is provocative, uh, but highly alienating uh, in her version of the Star Spangled Banner. Um, I, I think that's a function of a couple of things. One being her kind of lackluster performance, just kind of vocal delivery. Um, and then the course of the context. Right. The people are not there to be so challenged, uh, <laughs> so so unmoored. Um, from the stability hey, of the on. sense is, of country and song. This is the NBA song. All-Star game. People are not here to see something real. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. Yeah. So I say all this to bring us back to what we started to talk about very briefly, uh, which is Hendrix's version of the national anthem, right, which is provocative, challenging, alienating, all these things. But, of course, in the correct context, which is a, uh, a countercultural music festival full of mud and drugs <laughs> where people are expecting this sort of thing. Oh, and of course, a Vietnam War is raging in which uh, the flag is being perverted um, and uh, and used for 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 horrible uh, for horrible ends, which is why, in, you know, uh, that particular rendition of it, right, with its machine gun sound effects and just kind of general sense of disorientation. And there's ang- also I mean, there's, anger, there's a quote um, from so well. there's a quote from a bugle call in it as well. That's like, you know, sort of the the military. Yeah, it's a little. Right, that little bit right there. I'm yeah, not yeah. absolutely not going to try to replicate the 
that rendition of it. Oh, so that was the next thing I was that, that was the next thing I was going to ask is Mark, can you just right now replicate that version of the Star Spangled Banner <laughs> on guitar, please? <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm afraid not. I can't. I won't. I won't be able to do it justice. Um, can you at least? Can you play but, some really fast Hendrix-esque arpeggios and stuff like that? Oh, there's like the uh, oh, there's that the there's the great run that he does like with. like that yeah i'd 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 like uh i'd like a spaghetti carbonara please and uh, (laughs) (laughs) it would have been so much better if fergie had sang before the slam dunk competition because then we'd all be singing it was awesome (laughs) (laughs) but if heard spud webb it just sang a duet so so you're saying so it's interesting because there is an issue of form and function in that where where is the flag and where is the fort? There's two parties in the national anthem. There is the flag and then there's there's the walls and then there's the navy. There's the flag and then there's the people and the rockets. There's team flag and team rocket blasting off again. And <laughs> I guess what Hendrix is saying is that team flag and team rocket are both America. That that the sort of rockets red glare and bursting in air is the Americans. It's not this foreign alien thing which is kind of interesting when you think that we shoot fireworks on the fourth of july the rock one of the things that you kind of have to be taught in learning the national anthem as a child if you're like me you get taught this is to is you have to skip the expectation that the rockets bursting in air are a good thing (laughs) that they are a bad thing the rockets are actually a bad thing in the in the context of the war of 1812 but when we sing the song we think of fireworks celebrating the fourth of july and explosives have have a sort of positive connotation in american culture for better or for worse um but i guess what in hendrix it's more like can we survive this bombardment that we're inflicting upon ourselves through our own choices and i guess he wouldn't say our because he would he would not count himself perhaps among the number of people who are like launching the vietnam war but would kind of divide would like position america as kind of a house divided against itself with this the uh and I guess then you question, is the song being sung by the invaders or the invaded is, is a question that gets posed by this kind of interpretation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and uh, along those uh, along that train of thought, um, if you look closely at the lyrics, right, it actually supports both interpretations. Right. And the rockets, red glare, the bombs bursting in air gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. Right. Um, you know, the the bombs and the and the rockets, uh, they are bad and that they're coming from the enemy. And yet. Right. They uh, serve a good purpose and that they illuminate. Um, they show that the flag is still there. Right. Now, whether that is a good or a bad thing depends on this point of view that we're just talking about here. Right. Whether America is a force for unalloyed force of good in uh, in the world or in the case of the Vietnam War with in, in, in Hendrix in 1969, whether it's actually a destructive one. Yeah, the 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 interesting thing. I mean, I, I guess I've done this on this podcast before. After five hundred and four podcasts, I, I suppose I'm out of ideas. But the interesting thing about the Star Spangled Banner to me is that the verse is one sentence, and the sentence is a question. You know that uh, can you see? Does that, does that, there actually, I guess it's two sentences, two questions. The first is, can you see the flag? And the other is, does that Star Spangled Banner yet wave? Um, so it's, it's, there's a kind of uncertainty baked into it, uh, that, that, if you pay, are paying attention, undercuts the, the triumphalism of a lot of the, 
uh, of a lot of the presentation, right? That that like we're we're not sure. Every uh, you know we have to re-answer the question after every rendition of the national anthem. And uh, you know if you maybe maybe uh, Marvin Gaye makes your flag wave, maybe Fergie makes your flag wave. You know, like uh, my my point is there's there's a lot of variety and a, a lot of different tastes and things, and uh, you know whatever whatever uh, gets your rocket uh, glaring red <laughs> is uh you know is good is is good for you you know so let's talk about some other colors that are associated with the star spangled banner other than red and i'm of course referring to gold um that being the color of the medal that when you win uh first place in the olympics summer or winter um and you get to hear your national anthem being played um, so I, I wanted to mention this, uh, give this a little bit of a discussion uh, before we end this podcast, um, which is to say the specific rendition of the Star Spangled Banner, which is being played uh, at the 2018 Winter Olympics in Pyeongchang, uh, which uh, debuted actually in 2016 uh, at the Rio Games. Um, so this is a, a very hot topic, as you can tell. It's a two-year-old uh, discussion we've been having about uh, the national anthem. But uh, I wanted to be... Uh, to be part of this discussion because it's, uh, for lack of a better word, it's bothering the hell out of me. Um, are the two of you watching the Olympics? I get the sense that no, I'm kind of alone in my uh, obsessive. A, a little, watching. some highlights, but not the not the play by play. Sure, Pete, have you been watching? No, I, I had I, some surgery. It, I, I guess you would think that would make you watch the Olympics more, but <laughs> it's actually kind of taken me out of the loop a little bit. Mm, so indeed. Um, but uh, do either of you have either of you seen the any of the flag ceremonies, the medal ceremonies for the uh, for the United States? No, that gets hi- that gets edited um, out of the highlight reel. Really, you don't you don't uh, like seeing seeing your your country um, uh, triumph and and crush our enemies on the field of sport. No, I, I like I like to see us doing it economically and culturally. Mm. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Anyway, so when when you hear the national anthem, right? Um, there's a couple of things notable about it. One is that, um, and it's an instrumental rendition, right? There's no uh, Fergie or Marvin Gaye or anyone else belting it along um, at an Olympic ceremony. Um, it's in the key of C, right? And so it's meant to be an instrumental piece, not really to be sung then, or you can see the athletes often mouthing the words uh, on the on the podium as the flag goes up. But uh, a couple of years ago when this version debuted in Rio, uh, a lot of people on the internet like kind of perked up their ears and without having the right vocabulary to describe what was wrong with it, um, thought that something was wrong with it. Something sounded a little bit different about it. And the word they uh, finally circled around to was, quote unquote, sad. Um, let me just demonstrate a little bit to you. It's like why uh, this sounds like the, quote unquote, sad national anthem. Um, and uh, or the, so, oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early light? Or the ramparts we watch, right? That's how it uh, typically sounds, right? Uh, we'll just do the uh, the sad Olympic version here in a second. Oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hail? Did you, did you catch that difference there? That yeah. does sound sadder. I can't identify exactly what the difference is, but Matt probably can. Deceptive cadence. Mm. Right, so that's uh, just to break it up. What so proudly we hail is the uh, original, or the more familiar version of it. But in the Olympics, it becomes what so proudly we hail. 
right? That there substitutes a C major chord there for an A minor, uh, and of course, minor chord being what uh, uh, we commonly refer to uh, in non-technical terms as "quote unquote" sad. Right. right My, yeah. It, well, sure. Yeah. Whether you think minor minor is sad. So the like uh, cadence, you know, the the word for the, how a musical phrase ends. The obvious, uh, the obvious one is called. Uh, uh, um, oh God, what is the real one called? That's uh, that's a cadence. <laughs> I can't remember. The one I always the, remember uh, is I, the Plagal cadence, which is the Amen at church. Yeah, that's the that's the Amen. So like an authentic uh, cadence is yeah, that what you mean? Yeah, or, I think uh, so. That's the that's yeah. the default one, which is five one. Um, and then there's a thing called a deceptive cadence, uh, which is sometimes not even described as a cadence at all because the point is to delay cadence, um, which would be like that. <laughs> Like right when you're when you want to sing the second the last line of the song again yeah yeah exactly <laughs> well yeah and and then by the way okay so you can do this with mode mixture too but but sorry mark i don't mean to bogart your point the 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 thing that makes it sound sad is that in places where you would expect uh the tonic harmony and with the tonic harmony a feeling of arrival back at the root harmony of the key that you're in instead you get a sort of destabilizing move into a minor chord that that reads as sad in the kind of just you know thumbs yeah. up thumbs down ish nature of of, of popular music criticism <laughs> right and going back to the lyrics of this of the national anthem um that chord right there lands typically what so proudly we hail right the major chord proudly instead of proudly we hail which and then, then it's basically the word proudly goes from a major triumphant settling type of thing into a minor sad unsettled unstable point um, and that, I think, has thrown people off, interestingly, kind of in a subconscious way that they, they, they might not be able to describe fully in, in sort of technical musical terms, um, but is real. Um, and it's an interesting way of reinterpreting the national anthem um, in, in a very subtle way. Right? We're talking about the harmonies in this. Uh, if you rearrange this song um, with the same harmonies uh, and the instrumentation that they use in the 2016-2018 Olympics, uh, it would be virtually indistinguishable um, from what you hear at a, at a ball game or any of the previous uh, Olympic games. But uh, with this subtle little tip here, we're now um, in the same sort of territory that we've been talking about with Hendrix and with Fergie and Marvin Gaye and so on and so forth. So here's um, I just find that really interesting um, and uh, and wanted to have this, uh, this this venue to discuss it. So here's here's a tip if you ever have to play some schlocky music, uh, if you're uh, you know musical theater music director or you know you're playing in a bar or something like that, and you got to do some things. So that's uh, that that six chord is really useful. But instead of using the minor six chord from the major mode, borrow the major six chord from the minor mode. I'll tell you. I'll I'll, I'll show you what I what I mean. Um, so so suppose you ended or the land of the free and the home of the brave and then you wanted to put a little english on it and decorate it a little bit you could use the the minor six the brave the brave the brave but how much more awesome would it be if you did something like
right? And the point God is, bless not, America. Yeah, Merry point, Christmas. Right? Jingle bells. Yeah, yeah, every really every song should end with jingle bells. Just <laughs> in this, you know that you know what I mean. Like, uh, uh, first of all, it was very unpatriotic to put that much English on the American national anthem. I'm going to say that. Salve, <laughs> salve, salve, Regina, salve, salve, Regina. God save the Queen. Happy Christmas. God <laughs> yeah, save the Queen. Happy Christmas. I just, um, but no, the point. The point was. Right, you can do you can do that flat six chord, and that that'll uh, that'll really make though. him stand up. That's you know? schlocky, and what we were talking about with this chord, sad national anthem, is a sense of unsettled uh, angst, as it were. Well, it's um, yeah, it's I mean, it was arranged to to reflect uh, you know America's place in the world, uncertain place in the world. Um, in light really, of, why would they do that? No, it's not. I just made that <laughs> <Okay>. up. <laughs> the sta- I'm sorry. I I should have put it this way. In a way, it was arranged to reflect. <laughs> Uh, but that's what it has become to me yeah. right i mean if we want to extrapolate uh uh political events into sport as you kind of have to do in the olympics because that's what it's there to do um that's how it gets interpreted and I, I, I my from my point of view i feel uh uncomfortable i don't like it i want to hear the bombastic uh familiar version of it uh when I see our amazing snowboarder Chloe Kim uh, after completely demolishing the field and exerting uh, her uh, American dominance over the sport, I want to hear American major chords in my American national anthem. Is that too much to ask, guys? Is that too much to ask? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, say, <laughs> does that Star Spangled Banner yet wave or the land of the free and the home of the brave? Maybe the, the most quintessentially the American thing you can do is to know the answer without knowing the answer. <laughs> like, yes, it does. I'm not going to check. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. That's why, that's, why Re- that's why Reagan was wrong. Really, in America, we trust but don't verify. <laughs> All right, let's call it. Uh, thanks very much, uh, both of you, for uh, discussing the uh, Francis Scott keyification of American popular music uh, with me. And thanks, everyone who listened, for listening. If you have anything you'd like to uh, tell us, you can uh, send us a voice memo at podcastoverthinking.com or just a regular old email. But I would love to hear some renditions of the Star Spangled Banner. If you are a musician and you have experience playing the banner, we'd love to hear a comment on the show notes on Over thinking it and we just always like uh for you to uh, hear from us so uh let's let's uh let's see let's see uh how many versions of the the banner we can kind of collect between us between now and next week next week is when we'll be back with more overthinking it podcast till then visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com where we subject a popular the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably, it probably doesn't doesn't deserve. deserve. Oh, I just realized I can't put the theme music over that. Okay, theme music now. And the home of the Harvey Playball!